Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. This is a production of Journalista Podcast, LLC, and iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the Journalista Podcast. Well, the smoking gun everyone's been looking for has just been shot down by a shoulder-mounted missile. And every journalist in the Western Hemisphere is after that story. So let's talk about the biggest story of the 80s, the one that sort of defines your career. Well, I would have to say it was the Hasenfu story. For those that don't know the background, we'd been covering this war for a decade, maybe less. The Sandinistas always maintaining that it was the U.S. financing the Contras that were attacking Nicaragua and the Sandinistas and the civilians and everybody there. But there had never been any concrete proof. So for you guys, the journalists on the ground... Everybody knows this is happening. They just can't prove it. We all know, just like the Sandinistas know, just like everybody knows that the U.S. is involved. But there was never any concrete proof. So the worst kept secret in Nicaragua. The worst kept secret, but also all the journalists and, of course, all the Sandinistas wanted to get this proof to say, hey, we told you so. One day, I'm in Miami on vacation, took my son, Chicho, I'm on vacation, but I'm still hanging out at the CBS Bureau. It's like we can't get away from it, you know? So I believe it was a Thursday. I'm not sure, Wednesday or Thursday. I get a call from someone in Nicaragua saying, have you heard? That someone was Cookie's assistant, Alejandro Belli, a.k.a. Chilene. The day that Kassenfuss came down, I was in the office. Cookie wasn't. 
I got the phone call and we were the first service that got the phone call. It was the Ministry of Defense and the Army. We knew very well Rosa Pasos was in charge of doing Relaciones Públicas del Ejército. Her office would call in, asking for Cookie Cookie wasn't there, so they know me. And they say, you know, we are organizing a pool of the networks. We cannot take everyone. We are asking you to lead it. But that is her connection. They, they trusted her, I feel. And of course, she had better connections. Of course, she would smush smush Danielle when she would be there, you know. The Sandinistas have proof now that the U.S. is involved because they caught an American associated with the CIA kicking out supplies over Contra territory. From a plane. Correct. So basically, the back ass of the plane is open and he's kicking he's out. He's kicking. This was this guy's specialty. He kicked out supplies. He kicked out propaganda over Sandinista territory because he, you want to win over the Sandinistas. But he also kicked out supplies for the Contras. The plane gets shot down. The pilot and another person on the flight didn't have parachutes. But this guy, Eugene Hazardfus, for some reason made the decision before he left to wear a parachute, which saved his life. So when the plane gets shot down, it crashes. The, the pilot and the other guy were killed instantly. Hazardfus parachuted into Sandinista territory. This poor guy, he's the low man on the totem pole, you know, a grunt, a kicker, which wasn't a very big, important job. Certainly not glamorous. Not glamorous. He survives because of the parachute but he is convinced that as soon as he's caught, he will be shot on sight. So he's hiding in some shack. Of course, the Sandinistas come upon him. He's still convinced they're gonna kill him, and they don't, because they also knew what they had. This was the first time that these guys are going to be able to prove, prove positive with a human being that the U.S. was involved in the war. You may have seen the iconic photo of Hazenfus being led out of the jungle by Sandinistas. Lou Demateus tells us how it came to be. So we're flying in. Of course, it's out in the jungle. The helicopter's got to land at the highest point to be like a hilltop that's been cleared by the Army guys so the helicopter could land. As we were coming in, I could see down by the river some activity, and I saw a really tall guy and there were some shorter guys in army fatigues. And so I thought, well, that's, that must be the guy. So we're getting off the helicopter and the army public relations guys are going, we want to have a press conference. Everybody over here, we're going to have a press conference. But I mean, as I was flying in, I saw the destroyed plane and I saw it and I saw the tail section, the fuselage, and I saw some soldiers over there and I said, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to wait in this press conference or, or am I going to go get photographs? And I remember I was running towards where I had seen the plane and I saw all these boots, all these army boots. And I remember thinking, well, what are all these army boots doing out here? This is very strange. And of course, I realized later is it was a Contra supply plane and that was part of what they were supplying these guys with, arms and munitions, but also, you know, things like army boots. I got to where the, the tail section was and a big part of the plane. They were pulling rifles out. And then there was a guy on the tail section. He was sort of guarding with his AK-47. So I saw this tarp 
over these bodies, and I could see like boots sticking out from the tarp. Those are guys who didn't make it. I took the pictures of the tarp, you know, with the boots sticking out, and I took some other stuff. As soon as I got back, and there was a whole line of, you know, there were probably three TV crews, and there were a bunch of photographers. But then we saw from down where the river was, which was the low point, we saw them bringing Hassanfuss up the hill to where the helicopters were. They had his hands tied, and then they were leading him, and so I just started photographing. Lou's photograph became as synonymous with the Iran-Contra affair as the one with Oliver North standing in front of Congress with his hand in the air. This moment was the beginning of the unraveling of the Reagan administration's illegal operation to fund and supply the Contras. It turns out the guy who was in front bringing him up the hill, which you see in that photograph, he is actually the one who fired the shoulder-mounted missile, the SAM, that hit the plane. He was being rewarded for this incredible feat. They brought him up. They let John ask a couple of questions. That's John Sisoloff, the CBS producer you've met in earlier episodes, like when Cookie was busted for having some weed. You know, the Quaker. The first question was, can you tell us your name? My name is Gene Hausen, of course. Where are you from? Marinette, Wisconsin. He didn't know what they were going to do to him. When you see the iconic photo, if you look at him, he looks really worried because he thought there was a good chance they were just going to blow him away. But when he saw the journalists, then he like relaxed. I'm sure he thought, well, I guess they're not going to kill me. Is they going to make it out of here because they're not going to shoot me in front of these journalists? Yeah, his total demeanor changed. And then, like I said, I mean, it it was his moment. I mean, it's a great line. He said, I got shot out of the sky. I mean, you know, it was almost like a movie moment, but it wasn't. It was reality. The Washington Post wrote this about the historic moment. Captured American put on display by Nicaragua. Eugene Hassenfuss, an American captured by Nicaraguan troops, appeared briefly at a press conference here late today and the Sandinista military displayed credentials identifying him and the American co-pilot who died in a downed plane Sunday as U.S. military advisors in El Salvador. A second American, the pilot, also was killed, according to Nicaragua officials. The Nicaraguan government charged that the flight was operated by the CIA to resupply U.S.-backed rebels known as Contras inside Nicaragua. Hassenfuss is the first American prisoner of war the leftist Sandinista government is known to have captured in five years of fighting against the Contras. The Sandinista army commander who captured Hassenfuss was Lieutenant Colonel Roberto Calderon. If that name sounds familiar, he was the guy that rescued Cookie after the helicopter crash. He said they recovered 70 new Soviet-made assault rifles, 100,000 rounds of ammunition, a dozen PG-7 rockets, and 150 pairs of boots. The flight had originated from a base in El Salvador. The U.S. Embassy in El Salvador immediately released a statement saying, Hazenfus is not part of the U.S. military group here. We don't know who he is. The embassy in Managua said, neither the airplane nor its crew and cargo were financed by the U.S. government. Hazenfus's wife, Sally, reached out for help. The next morning, I tried to call President Reagan 
I thought, well, it's the only place I'm going to get answers. He's, you know, I, I should be able to trust him. He's the president. I knew he knew. He put me in touch with a man named Elliot Abrams. He said, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you're talking about. And I got angry, and before I hung up, he did admit that he knew what I was talking about. And he kept warning me that, you know, be careful of the press and, you know, be careful what you say, be careful what you do. Elliot Abrams was the assistant secretary of state. What Sally didn't know was that he was secretly involved in the whole Contra scheme. In other words, part of the problem, not the solution. You know it's the biggest story of the decade. Are you I th- know it's going to be the biggest story of the decade. And you also know that every journalist in the world, certainly in Nicaragua and all the Western journalists covering it. That were there and that I knew were going to be flying in. Everybody wanted that. Everybody knew what it was. Everyone knew what the consequences were. Of course. The first time and proof positive, U.S. is involved. George Boza, sound man for the CBS Dream Team, was a witness to the mayhem. There were people in the CBS chasing that. The evening news was chasing it. West 57th was chasing it. We were in the office every day, and our office people, our bureau, was working night and day to get that interview. So was every other journalist in the country. And there were a lot of big names there from all the other networks. Everybody and their mother was chasing that story, including, you know, the New York Times, Washington Post. This brings us back to our favorite CBS News correspondent, Jane Wallace who had been circling this story for years. I am in my office in New York City. I know exactly what this guy was doing there. I know that he's working for Ali North's network and that they're spook-related. We're not sure exactly what level of the White House above Ali knows about this operation, but we know who Hassan Fus is the minute they're pulling him around by the rope. I'm trying to get on a plane to Managua. I'm trying to go through Miami to get to Nicaragua. CBS is not letting me fly. I owed them expense reports. Expense reports were the bane of everybody's existence. Just hideously boring to do down to the last centavo. They are not letting me put anything on my American Express card to get there. Hold on, let me me get this straight. The biggest story of the 80s is unfolding in front of your face. And I can't get on a plane because I can't buy the ticket yet. It was breathtakingly stupid. I'm sure I spoke to Manny. I'm sure I spoke to Leslie. We were all trying to get there as fast as we could. We knew exactly what the story was. I mean, you know, not the guy's details in his hometown, but we knew what he was doing there and why he fell out of that plane when he hit the ground. It was so frustrating My eyes were bulging with the desire to get there and to get this story. We'd been waiting. We'd been taking all the knocks as if we had reported this all because we'd reported it closer than anybody else had, at least as far as I know. And if somebody was further ahead on the story than us, I'd love to know about it now because I would have missed it then. We wanted Hassenfuss, no question. CBS won't let me buy the damn plane ticket. So I charge it on my own card and eventually head down there. I think someone was holding us up on permission to go, too. And I just jumped it. Forget it. I don't remember where Manny was. I don't know if he was in country, out of country, the whole crew. Leslie, I'm not sure. We just all headed to go. We knew. Because the Intercontinental was such a tiny town, 
where everybody knew what everybody else was doing. We'd be noticed if I showed up again with Manny and Leslie and George Boza and Cookie. If the whole band gets back together, everybody's going to notice if we stayed there. We didn't have a solid book yet on Hassenfuss. We didn't have it nailed in terms of our access to him. But we decided to go to the Camino instead so that we could at least stay low profile waiting to go interview this dude. So we get to Managua, go to the Camino, and the next three days I'm sitting by a pool, simmering, just simmering, waiting, waiting, waiting for a call. I'm just sitting there. Leslie is just sitting there. George and Manny are just sitting there waiting for the call to go interview Hassenfuss. It was just stand by. So that Friday, I'm sitting in the CBS office in Miami, and I get that call. So I get the bright idea, wait, they're going to put this guy on trial. It's going to be a sham trial. He's going to be found guilty. You know, whether they're going to kill him or put him in prison wasn't yet quite clear to me what was going to happen. So I said to myself, let me call my friends at 60 Minutes. And so I proceed to call Mike Wallace and Don Hewitt. We were all friends and obviously colleagues. I had them on speakerphone and I said, Mike, Don, wouldn't it be great if we get this guy to confess on 60 Minutes this Sunday coming, and he confesses to the whole world. Wouldn't that be great? Mike dropped the phone. He couldn't believe it. You could hear Don Hewitt screaming in the background, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Get this story for us, Cookie. Get that interview for us. And I said, okay. Got off the phone with them, called Ortega's right-hand guy, said to him, look, I know who you've got. I know what he means to you guys. I also figure you're going to put him on trial. What if you let me and 60 Minutes put him on the air this Sunday and have him confess to the whole world before you put on your trial? The guy loved the idea. He says, fuck yeah, we'll make that happen for you, Cookie. I said to to Mike, we got it. We're in. I said, but I'm in Miami right now. I'm not in Nicaragua. He says, I don't give a fuck. We'll pick you up in the jet. In fact, we'll pick you up tomorrow morning. We'll come in. We'll do the interview. We fly back out, edit it, put it on the air Sunday. Great. Cookie gets the biggest scoop of her career. But this story just gets crazier. We'll be right back. See you on the other side. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma. Delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style, the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. 
So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Welcome back. Before we get to the fallout from the big 60 Minutes interview, let's find out how Eugene Hasenfuss ended up in the skies of Nicaragua. An ex-Marine, he started working for an outfit called Air America during the Vietnam War. It's best known for supplying and supporting covert and mostly illegal special ops in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War, including drug smuggling in Laos. They even made a movie about it starring Mel Gibson and Robert Downey Jr. We're not here right now. Yeah, I saw Nixon on TV. Yeah, so if we're not actually here, then, of course, this didn't happen. Well, maybe it didn't happen for you, and maybe it didn't happen for Nixon, but I think it happened for Doug. Air America also played a huge part in the evacuation of Saigon in 1975. You've probably seen the footage of helicopters taking people off the rooftops as the Viet Cong closed in around them. On April 29th and 30th, the United States evacuated all remaining Americans, as well as some 120,000 South Vietnamese, to ships waiting off the coast of Vietnam. As the last American helicopter lifted off from the roof of the American embassy, North Vietnamese tanks rolled through the city and onto the grounds of the presidential palace. There's a famous photo of that effort that, like the Hasenfuss picture, became a symbol of the failure of another U.S. intervention. Air America helicopters were among the last flights out. They have quite a history. Eugene Hasenfuss was proud of his service. I loved Air America, and I loved for uh, anything that our country will do was right, and whether it was CIA over there or whatever. Uh, this here was supposed to be uh, another sequel of uh, exactly what Air America was doing over in uh, Southeast Asia would just be a, a different geographical location and a time sequence. But otherwise, it'd be exactly the same working for the government. Back to our story. Last time we saw Jane Wallace, she was on pins and needles, waiting for a phone call that never came. I think three days in, three very long days in, at the last minute, Manny and George are getting beeped to go. What do you mean Manny and George are getting beeped to go? Cookie, what's the deal? When 60 Minutes calls you, it's like the IRS. You're going to answer that call. The airport in Managua was closed on the weekends. No flights in or out. So Manny and I were chilling. We're at the hotel. I think we were either by the pool or we were going to go shopping in Messiah. And they tell us, hey, no, 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 no. They're opening the airport. Tomorrow, they're going to be coming in and it's going to be a Learjet and cookies on it with Mike Wallace 
and Don Hewitt, and that they got the interview with Eugene Hasselfus. And Manny and I went, wow, what a coup. They didn't know we were in town. They were just beeping any available crew to go interview Hasselfus. And we got skunked. We got skunked. Mike Wallace came to town with his crew, took my crew and my interviewee. That's how I felt. But they were two days later than us. They didn't even know what they were after. The reason we didn't get that story was because Cookie wasn't in Managua. She knew what we were working on. We already knew they were running guns at the least. And it already had powder residue of cocaine around the edges of that story of running guns. We'd already traced it up to Oliver North. We knew what was going on there. I mean, the only thing we didn't have was a picture of a guy being led around by a rope in the jungle that turned out to be a redhead from Wisconsin. We were onto them. Mike and Don fly into Miami, pick me up the next morning in the Learjet, and we're flying back to Managua to do this great interview. But remember, I had been on vacation. Chino, who's by then my ex-husband, was there. I knew I needed some party favors to take back with me. Chicho was on vacation with me, so I knew I was leaving him in Miami. And so I said to Chino, you need to bring me some supplies because I'm leaving tomorrow morning with 60 minutes. And he brought me a nice, hefty supply of party material. We're talking cocaine. Obviously. So I'm set. The Learjet lands. We get on, fly to Managua. And of course, we're not going through customs because it's cookie and it's 60 minutes. Nothing's going to be checked. I'm cool. Nobody's going to check anything. Lo and behold, 60 minute flies in. Cookie's coming down the steps of the Learjet. She says, guys, we're going right to the jail and we're going to do this right now. Okay. The Guatemalan crew is going to come with us. They'll be the second camera. But you guys got the ball on this. So Manny and I were like, okay, great, let's go. And she says, but first we got to stop and we got to make peace with the local CBS guys. So we went to a restaurant, we sat down and we're eating and Don Hewitt and Mike Wallace are having lunch with our producer and our reporter, people in charge of Central America for CBS for the evening news. That would be CBS News correspondent Mike O'Connor and producer John Sisaloff who you've met several times in this series. They were not happy that 60 Minutes was just flying in, and the term we use in, in the business is big footing. Mike Wallace is about as big a foot as there is. There might not be any bigger. They come in and they take the story from me, and they make it theirs. So they were complaining to Mike and Don about Hey, you know, it's not fair that we've been humping on the story and then you guys come in here at the last second and just get the interview. They were resentful. Boza told me that Mike O'Connell was leading the charge and he respected him for it. But standing up against Bigfoot was probably not a good idea. Mike and Don, they didn't like that. They didn't like hearing that. And I remember that they said, you could have come with us today and gotten one question. We would have let you ask one question. And you could have used that one question for tonight's evening news broadcast. But since you've got an attitude, you're not coming. You can come, they told the producer, you can come and you can take notes. But that's it. I was like, wow, this is like the big leagues. This is stuff that usually you don't get to witness. And then we went to the jail. I was furious. They were just trying to move our pieces off the board and take what we had. They were way behind us. 
I'd gotten all kinds of heat for why are you putting this garbage on the air? You know, it's not true. And I'd gotten that inside from the head of CBS News. Like, you know, what is this hot air? Are you kidding me? So then the proof is in this redheaded guy and the proof goes to someone who didn't even have the story. Boy, God. Mike Wallace was a nasty man and a very sexist guy, a horribly sexist guy. It wasn't just that he beat you on your own story. It was that he didn't think you belonged there in the first place. Every journalist that had been in Managua, based in Managua, flown into Managua for the story, they're all outside at the bottom of the stairs in the street. And of course, everyone wants Hasifus and nobody's getting Hasifus except yours truly. And when we get there, you know, it's like all the journalists had to part like the Red Sea to let us through. And I remember there was one journalist from ABC who kind of whispered to me and said, uh, well, we know how you got this story. I whispered back to him, well, in El Salvador, we know how you get your stories. That ABC News correspondent was Peter Collins, one of the biggest stars of that network. As far as what Cookie is referring to, I'll just leave that there. Super competitive. Everyone wanted that story. That's a career story. That's one that makes your career. You know, you get the exclusive on that one and your life is going to change. Yeah, there's a lot of jealousy involved that. And you had a lot of veteran reporters there, the LA Times, the AP, you know, UPI. Cookie out scooped them all. That hurts, you know, especially when your, your boss in New York is calling and going, hey, what happened? You know, why didn't you get it? We go upstairs. There's state security all over. There's the head of state security there. So while they're all setting up for the interview, I, of course, ask the head of state security, where's your bathroom? Because you know what I'm getting ready to go do. So I go to the bathroom, and I swear to this day, I say that was the best lines of coke that I ever did because I'm being escorted by the head of state security to the bathroom in state security. It was just... Surreal. The Sandinistas are always uncomfortable when it comes to journalists, especially American journalists, especially American TV cameras. And when you have a, a star like Mike Wallace there, the tension level just goes through the roof. So everything is being done very methodically. They're searching, they're questioning, they're talking about where is the most secure place to do this. So we finally hammer out everything. Cookie was a big part of that. Cookie was handling most of the negotiations, interpreting and we find the spot, we put all the lights up. It took us half an hour to get it all ready. Two crews, two cameras, one camera on Gene and one camera on Mike. Hazardfus is still just panicked because now he thinks that after he does this interview, he's going to be shot. First, he looks over at me, and I'm wearing two different color Reeboks tennis shoes. I'm wearing two different color socks. I'm wearing two different earrings in each ear. And he kind of looks over at me in nervous humor, says to me, wow, I've never seen anybody dress like that. And we kind of laughed. His was a nervous laugh. I leaned over and I whispered to him, I said, you're not going to be killed after this interview. Did you feel like the interview itself was going to be sort of a layer of protection for him? No, not at all. 
that interview was going to be him admitting to all his quote-unquote sins, which is what the Sandinistas were going to put him on trial for. So no, he was convinced he would be shot after the our interview because he would be admitting to everything that the Sandinistas wanted him to admit. So why would he admit to it? Because he's around Americans. He's with 60 Minutes. I'm convincing him that everything's going to be okay. If and when you do this interview, it could be some protection because now the world will know that you exist. So I think I sort of allayed his fears, got him a little comfortable. Boom. Door opens. In comes Hasenfuss. He's shackled. They walk him around to the front of the chair. As soon as Hasenfuss's butt hits the chair, the lights go out. Right on cue. I mean, it couldn't have happened in a more timely fashion. All hell broke loose. And then proceeds what we call Murphy's Law. Everything that could go wrong starts to go wrong. The electricity goes out. Remember, we're in a third world country. One of the camera crews, one of their pieces of equipment goes out. And just slowly, everything is going wrong. It's dark. You can see a little bit. But immediately, the Sandinistas are on full alert. They grab Hazafus, they got their guns up. I think that they actually thought that there was a rescue attempt going to happen. Like Chuck Norris was out there with the Delta Force and they were going to come in and snatch him. So they're moving a mile a minute. In the meantime, Hewitt is standing up and he's saying, everybody stay put, stay put, stay put, nobody move. Wallace is yelling, Let's move everything outside, guys. Everything. Let's just grab it. We'll do it outside. We don't need lights. Let's just go. So we're all there, like, frozen. Uh, Manny and I are looking at each other like, who do we listen to? Do we listen to Don Hewitt, the creator of 60 Minutes, or do we listen to Mike Wallace? It's a death sentence. Whoever you listen to, the other one's going to get pissed off. So we're frozen, and we're trying to see what's going to be next. And somebody, I don't remember if it was Cookie or it could have been Manny, that said, let's just do it outside. And we went outside and we set it up and the Sandinistas were cool about the whole thing. They held on to them until we were ready. Literally, we set up in seven minutes, like bam, 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 put the chair on the ground. They brought them, they sat them. And Don Hewitt stepped in between both cameras like he used to do in the good old days of film. He looked and he said, okay, guys, we're going to roll. Here's the slate. And he slapped his hands. But it's starting to get late in the afternoon. We're going to lose the natural light. We're under a time constraint. We need to get this interview done. So the interview proceeds. Poor guy is admitting to everything. He's admitting that he worked for the CIA. You know, he's former military or still military. He's a kicker. It wasn't his first mission. He'd been doing that throughout the Sandinista conflict. It's not that this guy really knew any kind of, you know, secret information or top secret things, but he knew enough to admit that he was guilty of what he had done. And we finished up the interview. It was great. He confessed to everything. Here we know he's going to confess to the U.S. audience on 60 Minutes. And then as we're wrapping up, Don Hewitt looks at me and says, can we get anybody else, you know, in the government? to add to this piece. And I said, well, would you like to talk to the president? He says, you mean Ortega? I said, sure. He says, can you get him? So I called my guy in, you know, Ortega's inner circle. And I said to him, look, we've just wrapped up this Hazard interview. It went well. He, he confessed to everything. 
You guys are going to like what he said. Can we possibly get the president to be in this piece and weigh in on what we've accomplished here? He said, you got it. I turned to Don and said, we got it. He says, fuck yeah. So we all packed up. We went to where the president was going to meet us. And we're setting up. Mike Wallace, Don, myself, everybody's there. The interview begins. And at some lull, I leaned over to Mike and I said, Mike, ask the president if it's possible that Hazifus could be home for Christmas. Because, of course, they had been asking Ortega, are you going to put this guy on trial? He said, yes. Obviously, he's going to be found guilty. Ortega says, well, we don't know that. We're going to let justice take its course. Of course, he already knew that Hazifus had confessed to us. Mike's like, no, I'm not going to ask him that. I said, Mike, ask him if he's going to be home for Christmas. And Don Hewitt overheard that, and he liked that. And he says, Mike, ask the question. Semi-begrudgingly, Mike says to the president, Mr. President, is it possible after the trial that this guy, obviously he could be thrown in prison, he could be shot, is it possible that he could be home for Christmas? And Ortega smiles and he says, anything is possible, Mr. Wallace. We knew we had it. We knew this guy was going to be home for Christmas, but that was still a few months away. We got the story on both sides. It was perfect. And of course, we're getting ready to fly out back to New York to edit the piece. And it aired the next day on 60 Minutes on Sunday, and it was earth shattering. It was a tremendous coup for CBS. Who can maneuver the government to accommodate us in this fashion? Not only accommodate us with the interview, which was brilliant, to shoot inside a secure facility in a communist country where there's other prisoners is unheard of. This all happened because, of course, it's 60 minutes, but it's the diplomacy and the tactfulness of Cookie Hood that was able to make it all happen. Without her, that interview would have never happened, not in a million years. You think that's where this story ends? Not a chance. Cookie's just getting started. Hazenfus was the smoking gun, but she's about to find the missing link, the money. We'll be right back. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places.
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Welcome back. Cookie should have been heading back to Miami to finish her vacation with Chicho, but she wasn't done, not by a long shot. Oh, a stipulation that the Sandinista government made. They wanted a copy of our interview because they wanted to air it. Our stipulation was that it air after the 60 Minutes broadcast aired. So I was going to be the one carrying back the copy. But, of course, I'm not going to fly back to Managua and the Learjet because the big boys were already back home. So I was going to fly commercial. I get on the flight, and there's a ton of journalists on the flight that were flying in for this big story. Because Miami is the direct connection to there. You have to Correct. go to Miami to get there almost. Right. I flew back from New York to Miami, and then Miami I'm going to fly to Nicaragua. And I get wind because I have family connections with the airline, TACA Airlines, and I get wind that Hazard Fus's wife, Sally, is on the flight. But she didn't want to be harassed, so she's in the cockpit with the pilot. So not only myself gets wind of it, all the other journalists get wind of it. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. But since I have the family connection with the airline, I go up to the front to, at that time, were called stewardesses, and I go up to one that I actually knew in person because of all my years flying TACA because of our family connection. And I said to her, I know that there's someone in the cockpit and I know you can't say it or agree with me that there is, but is it possible for you to give a note to the person that's not in the cockpit? And she says, Cookie, I'll do it because it's you. I sent the note to Sally saying, my name is Cookie. I'm with CBS. I was with Eugene yesterday, your husband. Can I speak to you in the cockpit? Flight attendant takes it up. I don't know what's going to happen. Next thing I know, she's coming back looking for me saying, Come on, you're going to the cockpit. And you could just see the journalists in the flight. They're all, oh, you know, everybody's revolting. Why does she get to go up? Whatever. I don't care. So I'm in the cockpit with Sally. And I said, Sally, I was with Eugene yesterday. We did a segment for 60 Minutes. He did a great interview. I just want to tell you he's okay. And she says to me, well, how do I know that you were with Eugene? I said, well, he said something funny. I, I was wearing two different color tennis shoes, two different color pair of socks, two different types of earrings in each ear. And he looked over at me and he made a comment, a funny comment, saying, I've never seen anybody dressed like that before. And for some reason, that let her know and she believed that I had been with Eugene. 
And so she was at that point, oh, please tell me, is he okay? I said, he's okay. And I want to tell you something. I tried to comfort him, and I'm going to tell you the same thing I told him. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be found guilty, but he will not go to prison and he will not be shot. He will be going home with you. I don't know when. I said, maybe Christmas, but he will be going home with you. And she just grabbed my hand and in tears said, oh, I'm so grateful. You know, I'm so grateful that you were able to see him and give him some hope. And I said, well, we have a caveat here. I'm going to ask you for one favor. I am not going to follow you around for how many months you're in Managua. I am not going to bother you and call you for interviews. You won't even see me except in the background. But the day your husband gets released, I'm going to call you and you're going to be mine that day. You're not going to give anyone else the time of day. You're not going to give any interviews. You're not going to give any sound bites to anybody. You're going to be with me. She says, Cookie, anything. Anything. Meanwhile, the 60 Minutes Hazenfu story runs that Sunday night. The New York Times wrote this about the historic interview. Eugene Hazenfus, the American survivor from the aircraft that was shot down over Nicaragua on October 5th, said yesterday that he believed Vice President Bush was well aware of the private operation to resupply the Nicaraguan rebels. In the interview with Mike Wallace on the CBS News program 60 Minutes, Hosnifus said he was told the resupply effort for the rebels, or Contras, was similar to CIA-sponsored operations in which he took part in Southeast Asia. He estimated that about 14 Americans operating out of El Salvador were engaged in the underground effort to resupply the Contras with arms and ammunition. Hosnifus said 24 to 26 company people, a term commonly used in connection with the CIA, were involved. Hosnifus said he believes the Reagan administration quote, is backing this resupply operation 100%, unquote. Asked by Wallace if he had felt that you were working for the U.S. government. He replied, yes, sir. You think this story is crazy? Wait till you hear this. So you got access to what was found in the wreckage. Right. I was thinking I was going to get first access. I didn't know I got only access. Every piece of evidence that was found in the wreckage was logged in by number, by picture, and an explanation of what each item was. So I ask, can I, you know, get a look at all this stuff? And I'm told, yes, you can, but you'll be the only one, and we don't want you sharing the information with other journalists or anybody for that matter. We don't really want anybody to know we're giving you access to all this high-level secret stuff. So I spent the whole day going through, you know, little things, big things, minutiae. What kind of stuff was Well, some of it, it said that it was from the pilot. Some of it was from the second victim of the crash. And some of it was Hazenfus' stuff. I think, like, they had his parachute and maybe some of the things that he was kicking out and hadn't yet completed. Apparently, the pilot had a briefcase with him. You know, he didn't think he was going to get shot down and killed. And in this briefcase is just a slew of paperwork and business cards and just a ton of stuff that who knows what it was. 
So I come across this business card. And this business card on the front was from a Swiss bank. The business card belonged to the vice president of this Swiss bank. And of course, it had his phone number, what bank. And on the back of the card was a slew of numbers. And the Sandinistas had logged this in as a business card and that on the back was a phone number. I knew that was not a phone number. It was too damn long of a sequence of numbers. I said to myself, what if this is a, a Swiss bank account? But would this pilot have been stupid enough to be carrying that information? Because I think he was in charge of the Swiss bank account. He had access to it. I actually took the card with me. I wasn't supposed to, but I took the card with me and went back to the office, called Switzerland, and asked to speak to the vice president of this bank. I identified myself. I said, in one of your cards was found in a wreckage in Nicaragua by, I assume, one of the people that could access an account. I said, I know you can't tell me if somebody has an account in your bank. I know you can't tell me anything about anything, but would it be okay if I read you a sequence of numbers and all I want you to say is yes or no, could this be a Swiss bank account? And I read the sequence of numbers. He said yes and hung up the phone. Okay, what is this pilot doing with a Swiss bank account? I just knew there was a lot more to the story because we still don't know about the Iran-Contra connection at this point. But we now know there's a Swiss bank account that this guy that obviously worked for the CIA has access to. So I remember calling Miami and I remember calling New York. I said, it may be nothing, but I think it's something big. And I explained to him what I had. New York and Miami were beyond disbelief. What could this possibly be? So at that point, not knowing that I had Iran-Contra proof, I passed it then on to Miami and then obviously New York Foreign Desk. And I think that went on to Washington, CBS Foreign Desk in Washington. Let them figure it out. About a year later, this happened. More than 2,000 pages of Swiss bank records considered crucial to the criminal investigation of the Iran-Contra affair, were turned over in Switzerland yesterday to aides to independent counsel Lawrence E. Walsh. The records are expected to provide Walsh's office its first direct access to the secret Swiss bank accounts used by fired National Security Council aide Lieutenant Colonel Oliver L. North and his assistants to divert funds to the Nicaraguan Contras from the sale of U.S. arms to Iran. Now, I've got to say, yes, I was a part of this blowing the whistle on Iran-Contra, but there were many journalists based in Nicaragua. There were people in Washington. In fact, a very close friend of mine, Leslie Coburn, was at the time writing a book about this whole Iran-Contra connection. Everybody was coming at it from a different angle. People were coming at it from different countries. So I want to make it quite clear. I'm not the only one. Everybody was involved. So all this goes down. So whatever happened with Sally and Eugene? Okay, so for the next few months, there's the trial. Everybody knew it was going to be a sham, that he was going to be found guilty. And now they've got the 60 Minutes piece as evidence because he's confessing 
to everything. So the trial goes on. It's every day, sweltering heat. Sally Hasenfuss was just trying to get through it. It's hard. It's really hard. We've, um, we've gone through one trial, and I think we're looking forward to another trial. Not literally, but I think it's something that has to be done. We need to get through this, get it over with. Senator Christopher Dodd had flown in at some point to try to broker Eugene Hazefus's release with the Sandinistas, and I don't think he was getting anywhere. The talks were ongoing. I don't think he knew where they stood at this particular moment that we're going to talk about. So I get a call before dawn from Ortega's right-hand guy, and he tells me, today's the day. It's going to happen. And I'm like, what's going to happen? And he says, you know what I'm talking about. Today's the day. So I put down the phone. I call Senator Dodd, wake him up. I tell him, today's the day. He's getting out. He goes, what do you mean? I said, they're letting him out today. Of course, I wanted him to feel like he had been the one that accomplished the release. I said, whatever you did, whatever you said, it worked. They're letting him out today. So I hung up with him, and then my final call was to Sally Hasenfuchs. I wake her up, and I said, Sally, hate to wake you up, but today's the day. What? What day? I said, Sally, remember I told you that I didn't know when, didn't know how, but that you were going to be taking Eugene home? She says, yes. I said, today's the day. And do you remember the promise you made me? And she says, I think so. I said, you promised me that you were going to be mine. I'm going to be with you the whole day till the release. You speak to no one. You give, you give no interviews. You give no quotes. You're mine. She says, Cookie, of course. That was the fateful day that Eugene Hazardfus was released, released into the care of Senator Christopher Dodd with his wife by his side, And guess what? He was going home for Christmas. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Our good friend Stephen Kinzer wrote this in the New York Times. Eugene Hassenfuss, the American air cargo handler captured when his arms-laden plane was shot down over Nicaragua in October, was pardoned and freed today. Mr. Hassenfuss, who had been sentenced to a 30-year jail term by a Nicaraguan People's Tribunal, was turned over to Senator Christopher J. Dodd, Democrat of Connecticut, and left the country aboard a jet with Mr. Dodd. We want to turn Citizen Hassenfuss over to the American people, and we are doing so through the person of Senator Dodd, President Daniel Ortega Saavedra said as he made the announcement. This is a Christmas and New Year message to the American people. It is a very concrete message of peace. So the whistle was blown. I would like to think that I sort of got that ball rolling with that Swiss bank account number. What we came to find out was the U.S. government, in order to finance the Contras, because it's against, you know, I guess the Geneva Convention. To it's against the law in the United States. They passed laws saying you can't fund the Contras. The way they went around that is the U.S. then began to secretly sell weapons to our mortal enemy at the time, Iran. How crazy is this? We're selling our mortal enemy weapons so that we could take that money, invest it, and finance drug dealers, 
some of them my friends, working cahoots with the DEA to give them the okay to bring in crack cocaine into the U.S. so as to make more money to finance this army known as the Contras, or as Reagan referred to them, the Freedom Fighters. I think he really did believe that. But what they were doing was illegal and probably a war crime. My fellow Americans, I've thought long and often about how to explain to you what I intended to accomplish. The fact of the matter is that there's nothing I can say that will make the situation right. I was stubborn in my pursuit of a policy that went astray. The other major issue of the hearings, of course, was the diversion of funds to the Nicaraguan Contras. Colonel North and Admiral Poindexter believed they were doing what I would have wanted done. Yet the buck does not stop with Admiral Poindexter, as he stated in his testimony. It stops with me. I am the one who is ultimately accountable to the American people. As I said in the first episode, 11 Reagan administration officials were convicted in this scandal, all pardoned when Bush took office in 1989. So not much accountability. This is Sally Hasenfuss on the men and women behind the scandal. I've found out things through this that are going on that are wrong. Some of these people may start out on the right foot with the right beliefs. Somewhere along the line here, money, profit, took over. Profit became more important than Gene's life, Mr. Sawyer's life, and Mr. Cooper's life. That pretty much sums it up. Were you ever contacted by authorities, officials to possibly testify or to... Oh, that happened years later. Once I was out of the business and I was back in New Orleans trying to lead a quiet, normal... But it did happen. It happened. And your response? I got wind that they were looking to get me to testify before a committee about my knowledge of the U.S. government introducing or facilitating the introduction of crack cocaine into this country. I just, at that point, went underground again because I'm not going to go and testify against the U.S. government and about drugs. It did not happen. All right. So Cookie lived somehow to tell her story. And what a fucking story it is. She has a few more things to say. We'll be right back. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Welcome back. It's been a hell of a ride. Before Cookie finishes telling her story, we have one more guest. Justin Wolf. You remember, the Tulane history professor who looks like the bass player from ZZ Top. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? How are you doing? Resident expert on <laughs> Nicaraguan history in Central America and professor at Tulane University. Hasen Fus falls from the air and changes everything. Tell us about that. Yeah, I like that. Hasen Fus falls from the air and everything falls apart. When I think about Hasen Fus, it's like thread or piece of yarn in the sweater. It's just kind of starting to come out. You know, and I think the Reagan administration and everyone involved thought, like, well, just pull that and clip it off and we'll be done. But they kept pulling and pulling and the whole thing just fell apart. I think in Nicaragua... Asimfus was just like icing on the cake. It just confirmed everything that they already knew. I think for the Sandinistas, it was really hard to figure out where an end game could come. I think that they really wanted to gain the moral high ground, and Asimfus gave them an opportunity to do that. I think for Nicaragua, that's really the primary consequence. It gave them breathing room. It shifted the focus in the U.S. back to kind of the U.S. government playing the kind of Cold War games that it had long been doing and allowed them to come back in the U.S., if not as the good guy, at least as the beleaguered small nation that they were. What do you think Iran-Contra ranks in the big scandals of the recent say, the last 50 years? You have Iran-Contra, you have... Trump, Russia, you have Watergate, you have... January 6th. January 6th. Where does it rank? <laughs> In terms of the effort and its illegality and how deeply it went, it's actually one of the worst, right? When you think about Watergate, I mean, it was small potatoes, right? A break-in. You know, they always say it. it's never the crime, it's the cover-up. This, it was the crime. The CIA is breaking the law. The Reagan administration, all up and down the chain, is breaking the law. And they knew it. Right. They thought we're the executive. We know best. These guys are, you know, either fools or pansies or whatever it is. And we're just going to do what needs to be done. There is one person that we haven't talked too much about in this podcast. Tell me about your daughter. Well, Alexandra, very special. She and Chicho, who you guys all know, were 10 years apart. And she was born after our story is told. A second child being raised in a war zone, definitely unique, dangerous, not easy. I've never thought about it in this way, but I can say it now. 
Having my two kids with me during these hard times was a life vest being thrown out to me when things would be dark, horrible, heinous, unthinkable. I could always go back to my hotel, to my living quarters, and there were my children. How does she feel about the podcast? She loves it. At first, I was a little scared that it was going to be a little too much for her because she's a little more conservative than I am. But she has just relished in the fact that her mom did all these things. And I'm going to take it a step further. She's proud of mommy. And she tells me so every single day. So we've just done nine episodes of the Journalista podcast. How does that feel? At once, exhilarating because the job is done. But at the same time, I'm quite sad because the job is done. The people that we've worked with, all the people that have been on the podcast, my former colleagues, my still friends, it's, it's a sad feeling for me personally. Was it fun getting to know them again in a different way? Yes and no. For so many years, I kept a lot of these bad memories buried deep down for obvious reasons, PTSD, all of that. So working with you, bringing up all those stories again has obviously brought up the PTSD again, some bad memories, bad feelings. But touching base again with my band of brothers has just been wonderful. When you have people, friends, colleagues that you go through these imminent death experiences, also some fun experiences, you don't let that go. We were a band of brothers then, we're a band of brothers now, and we will be a band of brothers till we die. Now with the benefit of history and taking this journey through your life in the podcast, how do you feel about your life then, the world you were part of, and how does it apply to you now? I think the way I look at it now, first, I'm lucky that I survived it. No shit. It was an honor to do what I did with the people that I did it with and the audience that I did it for. If I was a badass warrior bish back then. Say that again. If I was a badass warrior bish back then. You're saying bish. Yeah, that's the new way of saying bitch. Fuck, I didn't even know that. Yeah. You, okay. you don't say bitch anymore because, okay. so you say bitch. Do you want me to not say bitch? <laughs> no, no say just, bitch? just start over. I'm sorry. I just okay. I hadn't heard. I thought you were like having some sort of tongue twister. No, that's <laughs> how you say bitch without disrespecting a woman. Damn. I'm so disrespectful then. Go ahead. So it took me being a, a fierce, badass bitch back then to reminding me that I'm still a fierce, badass bitch now. I may not be doing the dangerous, memorable things that I used to do, but I can see the end result of a lot that I did back then. You know, we've been getting messages and comments from women all over the world, and they're saying you're an inspiration. How does it make you feel, and what do you think that means? Well, obviously it makes me feel good, and I'm grateful, especially to you, for helping me get that story out there to where we can influence and help change women's lives. Nobody's better than the other person, as you and I have come to realize. 
And of course, that's the way we think. If we just change one person's life, I think we've accomplished what we've set out to do. You might remember Cookie called the search for war footage, looking for Bang Bang. Chuck Gomez, former CBS News correspondent and forever friend of Cookie, wrote a play about his time in Central America, the Bang Bang Blues. It's about a reporter who's struggling to cover the war in the midst of these Contras arriving. And in the end, he becomes a casualty of the war himself. At the very beginning of the play, there's a song. Now, I can't sing, but it's something like this. I got the bang, bang blues, wearing out my shoes, hitting dusty highways for the network news. I got the bang, bang blues, I'm paying my dues, taking big chances, and I hope I don't lose. Oh, yeah. I want to give a shout out to journalists everywhere for giving so much, including their lives, in the pursuit of truth around the world. It can be a very dangerous calling, and we can't thank you enough for what you do. In these crazy times, we need you now more than ever. Before we go, I just want to say something. I've known Cookie for a long time. She is one of a kind. Generous, loving, courageous, hilarious, insane, a lover of animals, and collector of amazing people. It's been one of the great honors of my life to help bring her story to you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Thanks for listening. The Journalista podcast features the stories and voice of Cookie Hood, narrated by Stephen Estep, produced by Sean J. Donnelly, executive producers Jason Wagensback, Ellen Kay, and Roy Laughlin, iHeart executive producer Tyler Klang, written and edited by Stephen Estep, music by Jay Weigel, associate producer and sound design Stephen Tonti, sound mixing by Jesse Solon Snyder, guest sound mixer Jack Mealy. Web design and social media coordinator, Sarah Rodolfo. Special guests, Jane Wallace, Stephen Kinzer, George Boza, Alejandro Belli, Manny Alvarez, Chuck Gomez, Carla Farrell, John Basco, Patrick Hood, Lou Demateus, Joe Frazier, and Tulane history professor Justin Wolf. Podcast includes the voices of Lloyd Schur, Ellen Kay, Cindy Pohl, Rachel Whitman, Casey Groves, Pablo Savala, Jose Torres Thomas, and Stephen Tonti. Thanks to the talented New Orleans dream team of musicians that contributed to our score. Shane Terrio, guitar. Doug Below, drums. Alexei Marti, percussion. Beau St-Pierre, keyboards. Alan Maxwell, bass. And Dana B, violin. Also, Lindsay Zaorski, composer assistant. And a very special thanks to Beth Ann Macaluso, Will Pearson, and Allison Cantor Graber from iHeartRadio, Jason Gervitz, Christoph Sapari, Kyle Frederick, Zach Slaff, Jacob Meyer, Misha Kashkash Ishvili. I also want to thank CBS News, 60 Minutes, West 57, ABC News, NBC News, CNN, PBS, the BBC the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Miami Herald, the Los Angeles Times, the Associated Press, Fox Television, and FX. This is a production of Journalista Podcast, LLC, and iHeartRadio.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.